What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What is happening, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of this podcast where we talk to people who are involved in independent music and love it dearly, like it's at the core of their being. And then they maybe like put out some records or they maybe like tour, you know, all of those things that we care about. Punk, hardcore, indie rock, emo, whatever it is, that is what we document here. And today I've got a great discussion with Jesse Mathewson. He plays in a band called Ken Mode from the very middle of Canada, if I'm not mistaken. I'm fairly certain that's where they're from. (laughs) Well, regardless, they are from Canada. I can tell you that. And uh, they are, I mean, going on 20 plus years band, definitely in the loud and noisy variety. I first got into them via the Hydrahead Records connection. Uh, Actually, no, 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 that's not true. Escape Artist Records, because we actually, Jesse and I nerd out about that a lot. But uh, Ken Mode is just a really, really interesting and good band. And Jesse also works in the music industry as like a business manager. He helps out with finances and make sure that, you know, bands are, uh, you know, just doing the right thing, (laughs) spending their money appropriately. But let's talk some things that you should know about. First of all, you can always email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Second of all, you can leave a rating and review. People ask, honestly, all the time how to support the show. Because sometimes I get like, people are like, yo, can I like send you f- five bucks on PayPal? No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't worry about that. It's all good. But what you can do is you can leave a rating and review on the Apple podcast page that helps out tremendously. Or you can leave a rating on the Spotify page. If you listen to podcasts on Spotify, it helps out tremendously. Also, I publish these chats on YouTube, so if you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, there's a link in the show notes where you will be able to subscribe, and that way you will not miss an episode from that side of things. Also, there is, I'm doing a new thing this year where each week I will be recommending something music-wise that I enjoyed and that you should pay attention to. So I'm going to continue that. First week, I, I recommended something, so you'll have to you know pay attention to that, but The most important note is the fact that I'll include a link in the show notes as well, where you can dive into a playlist and be able to listen to the music that I'm recommending. And this week's recommendation is a band from Europe. I think they're from Berlin. I could be wrong. Called Force of Denial. 
holy crap. <laughs> if you like anything 90s hardcore, if we're talking like classic Victory Record style stuff, you know, Strife, Earth Crisis, Snowcase, but, uh, you know, w- with modern twist, Force of Denial, it's, it's a four song EP. It's called Times of Strife, which, of course, like, you know, Strife, it's funny. Any, anytime you can connect a band name <laughs> to a band name that has, or a record name to a band name that has existed in the past, I'm, I'm all ears. But Force and Denial, really, really good. Uh, they have a guest spot from uh, some, the vocalist of Magnitude. They also have a guest spot from someone uh, in the band Spark, who's really, really good. But um, yes, a four-song EP. If you like your hardcore classic in 90s filled, then you will absolutely adore what this band has in store. So again, a link in the show notes and you'll be able to listen to this band and then all the previous recommendations. I'm going to be doing one a week for the rest of this year. So there we go. Let's talk about Jesse. Like I said, Ken Mode, really interesting band. Um, they're, they're getting more popular, <laughs> which is awesome because, you know, a band that's been 20 plus years in their career, sometimes it's kind of just like, all right, you know, we're totally content with the fan base that we have. And, you know, there isn't much that we can do, but Ken mode seems to be catching more and more people's attention, which is awesome. And I love that. And Jesse was a great hang. So without further ado, that's so many people say that, right? (laughs) When it's like tossing off the interview portion without further ado. But anyways, I will, I will try to not lean on that cliche cliche. So here we go. Let's talk to Jesse. Great. hang. I got exposed to you many moons ago via your uh, Escape Artist release because oh, I was. Oh damn! Per- you are old school then. Okay, I, cool. I, yeah, you know we're we're talking like you know I, I am a four, early forties hardcore kid. So the uh, and I like how we refer to ourselves as kids, regardless. Yeah, because uh, right, we. I mean, a hardcore kid is a hardcore kid forever. So yeah, no matter which way you slice it. But, but I mean, um, if you were an Escape Artist fan, you weren't a regular hardcore kid. I appreciate you. I feel seen, Jesse. Thank you for for saying that. But yeah, but I was obsessed with everything that Gordon put out, Um, you know, even down to, you know, Time and Walter or what have you. But um, I I thought- How how about all the releases that came out like right near the end of their time, which were super underappreciated and all like just killer records. It, it, yes, I agree. uh, Blunderbuss, um, The Dream is Dead- Totally. So they do uh, collapse our us. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> totally. And I, you mentioning that, like it just that time, especially like in the early, you know, to mid 2000s was so interesting for, you know, for lack of a better term, like artistic heavy stuff, you know, with yeah. bands like obviously you guys mastered on Breathe the Resist and so, so many more that you toured with. Um, I know that you guys were obviously removed geographically from a lot of that stuff that was happening, but did you feel for lack of a better term that you were kind of part of a scene because there was stuff happening or no ish, but not really. Um, we were like definitely on the young side of all the bands going at that time. And we also didn't tour very hard and that actually becomes like a recurring theme with us. And part of why we had uh, di- like clear cut resurgence 
in the very end of the aughts and like early 2010s when we were literally throwing everything into touring full time because we felt like that was the only way we could really get any recognition at least sure. wider spread because i mean like escape artist had some and like case in point you heard us but like yep. they weren't a popular label they were no. a weird one they were like hydra heads like uncool little brother even though i yep. guess i don't even know if you should say little brother because like they probably started around the same time but yeah, no, you're it, Well, it was basically like you had your big two of Hydra Head and Relapse. And then like, you know, you had what, what Gordon was doing. And then you had, um, you know, like Hawthorne street, like, yeah, just had random labels, but yeah, I understand your point. Yeah. But like escape artists was one of those ones that like pound for pound, I felt like they didn't miss on anything. And like all those labels missed on some things, at least for my personal taste. So I think that's, Part of why we've had such a long-standing relationship with people like Gordon Conrad, I'll, not not to to exclude Adam Peterson, who is his partner and escape artist, but uh, yep. because Gordon has continued to work within the industry and we worked with him all through our time at Season of Mist as well, we've uh, we can't shake that guy, and he can't shake us even now. Like last year, um, the the go-to guy we have when we have problems on the East Coast, Gordon, help! Who do you know? Help, Gordon. <laughs> well, I, I love that description because like there, I mean, people throw around the word lifer and there, that can mean different things to different people in regards to like, oh, they're a lifer where like, you know, like they're, they're going to be involved with this thing. But then some people, you know, they trickle out of like working in the music industry or playing bands or whatever, but like Gordon by any stretch of the imagination is lifer. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, can, it consumes his life thoroughly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You, you got to believe he enjoys some of it. Right. <laughs> to totally. <laughs> he has to, even though he's grumpy, he has to enjoy some of this. He has to, he has to. Yeah. I mean, especially like what you were talking about where it's like you, you know, because you were, you know, touring, but not to the same degree as many of those other bands. Like I'm sure there was that ability to, you know, ride off the coattails of certain bands just because it was like, oh yes, like, you know, we get compared to this band. So people will check it out by default. Yeah. I never really got uh, much of a sense of how far that went back in the day. And again, it's really just, we're kids. The internet was like very new to most people. And, uh, yeah, I just us being in Winnipeg, it was so hard to take a proper temperature gauge of where we existed in that general scene situation. I definitely know we connected more with it when we started touring the U.S. all the time in like 2010. Because mm -hmm. um, we even off the hop, the first like re-entry to the states, we did shows with Gaza, Engineer, um, Clinging to the Trees of a Forest Fire, Rosetta. Like we we. We connected with the right bands and kind of started that. I, I feel like the reemergence we did properly, as opposed to when we were kids, we were just flailing wildly. <laughs> so, totally. And we'll talk about that flailing a little bit uh, later, but the focus on you as a person, uh, were you actually born and raised in Winnipeg? I know that probably seems like very basic of me to find out, but I, uh, I, I was not aware. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was. I was born and raised here with my brother. Uh, I have two brothers, but only one of them is in Ken mode. Right. <laughs> your your other brother, obviously, he just wasn't able to hack it with you guys, huh? No, no. He was, well, he's like 
almost six years younger than me too. He uh, he took to powerlifting instead of uh, playing rock music, and now he's a doctor. So he did something right. Yeah, well, I would I would dare say he did much better than you. Get. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're all so, broken in the same way, though. So he's, he's just as unhappy. <laughs> so, exactly. It's like it's just a different shade of broken. It's totally fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm going to kind of you know typify maybe your experience of growing up in Winnipeg because uh, I mean all I know about Winnipeg is going through their own tour once, and it, obviously it's a very interesting slash desolate, uh, you know, major metropolitan area, but then also obviously not, um, you know, I'm going to guess that you were forced to play hockey. You had no choice in the matter. Like what was your upbringing? Like I actually wasn't, Wow, I, I'm, I'm a weird one too, in that I did play hockey, but it was because I really, really wanted to. And I started, I think I was 10. So I was like a way late bloomer. So, okay. um, but that ended as soon as the uh, dirty uh, grip of uh, underground music grabbed my neck. So, right. Basically, most things in my life got destroyed when that happened. <laughs> as as most good things do, where it's like, you know what? There's no room for anything else. I'm just going to pay attention to dumb, loud bands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to draw. I used to have so many things going on and just destroyed. I yeah, wanna I want to play music. I want to go see shows. Right, oh, that, poor, that poor kid. I know that old chestnut. <laughs> the uh, so did you? I mean, did you care about school? Like, what was the relationship looking like with your brothers in the house? Like, were you guys all you know just goofing around and wrestling with each other? Or what was the vibe? I mean, there's a little of that. We didn't do it a ton of it, but like, school was very important too. Like, our our parents are both chartered accountants and. uh not performing well at school was not an option. So we were like nerds, but not nerds, like okay. angry nerds who would kill you if you crossed them. <laughs> sure. Threatening nerds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah. The, and the only really, uh, uh, I guess you can't escape the nerd side, but like, um, yeah, we, we did well in school, but like weren't your usual, like, nerds but i'm mm. sure like that that's what a lot of the scene is made up of especially like the artsy fartsy side like they're usually pretty pretty intelligent people who are able to put bands together that think outside the box or maybe i'm just extrapolating I, there's also a lot of dumbasses, so i don't know i mean i'm You're talking <laughs> out of my ass at this point <laughs> no no well i I, I think you, the idea of what you're talking about, where it's like, there is a level of, you know, intelligence, albeit maybe small to be able to, you know, get together a group of friends to play music and then actually write some songs and put out a demo and, you know, have those logical steps because, um, you know, like that does take effort in ways that some people just don't want to put towards that. Yeah. But even specifically like the style of music, um, when it's it's a little brainier, a little artier, it, it has a tendency to attract a certain type of person. And again, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but like, I mean, if you chat with who, who's a good example, Brian Cook, he's a he's a good ambassador of of people yes. who play good, interesting, heavy music, and he's not a moron. <laughs> I I would I agree. Brian Brian would love that. That's the example. I. <laughs> 
<laughs> totally. He's, he's going to be like, you know what? I, I, I play bass very well. I play in a, a broad genres of music. And um, yeah, I'm just like, I'm and, not you a know, moron. <laughs> right. An artistic, not moron, I guess. <laughs> but I, I know I do understand where you're coming from in regards to, especially it's like, you know, most people obviously enter this independent music scene via, you know, punk or hardcore. And it's very, you know, simple and basic. And then as you start to, you know, progress and your mind expands a little bit and you are able to wrap your head around more intricate things, not everybody continues to go down that path. I can't tell you. And I'm sure you have many friends that are just like, dude, what do you, why do you like neurosis? Like that, they have like nine minute long songs. You're like, yeah, they could go 14 and I'm fine. And just the people we've made friends with if, as a result of music, like they're all right. That's <laughs> the reason we're friends with them. Bunch yeah. of fucking nerds. Bunch of totally. fucking nerds. <laughs> totally. I, I, I have to place the Winnipeg, um, you know, a, a wreath on you in regards to the fact that uh, there's obviously most people point to a band like Propagandi, um, and obviously well, like we actually bands. do their we do their accounting. Of course, of course, you do. Yeah. yeah, and I like I, I'm gonna guess that that band was probably inescapable for you living in that area and probably getting attracted to you know punk or hardcore in your early years. Surprisingly, they didn't really have anything to do with me getting into the scene. Okay. Yeah, I actually got into propaganda because uh, a girl I liked was a big fan of theirs. But Amazing. In terms of getting into the scene in Winnipeg, um, not a lot of people in the U.S. know them, but this band called Kittens, who was oh pretty- yeah, and Sonic Onion. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Hell yeah. yeah, yeah. They they were the band that did it for me, and I didn't even know they were local, but saw a show poster. I was already a fan. Me and our original bassist, Daryl Axtall, went to go see in a dirty basement, Wellingtons. Um, it was Kittens and like a ska punk band and like a weird kind of emo band. Uh, and we're talking like real emo, like OG emo. Um, sure. But Kittens, like it was an all ages show. At the time, I think we were 14 and 14 or 15. Anyway, that doesn't matter. But kittens was not an all ages band (laughs) so they played this all ages show tons of people there and as soon as kittens started everyone took like 20 steps backward and daryl and i were right up front (laughs) and they were (laughs) writhing and spitting and just the most feral thing i'd ever seen and like it 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 changed my life i had to be in a band when i saw that that's incredible because that, uh, like, first of all, I never knew kittens being or the k- kittens being from Winnipeg. I just knew them like based on their Sonic Onion connection, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they they were such a strange band. It like in the way that obviously, like you said, they never came across the border from a you know American perspective, uh, like getting any recognition. But it's like there's so many bands that are so country specific, where it's like you know Tristan Psionic or whatever, like all these bands that are yeah, just like. Yeah. Dude, no one knows about them in the states, and the kittens are definitely a band that just didn't didn't have any resonance in this country. It's really too bad too, because like if they would have toured or made an attempt to really tackle that market, I think they could have done pretty well. Because especially like they started off pretty Melvin's worship, but mm-hmm. what they turned into became, I feel, truly unique in what the noise rock community has and had and actually their bazooka and the hustler record still 
really holds up uh, to modern material because of how well it was recorded. Like it doesn't sound dated at all to me. Maybe I am a little biased because it is one of my favorite records that has ever been made. And I mm-hmm. am like, I've been friends with the members of the band. So, um, but it, it, it's, it, I feel a truly special rock record and it's, it's really too bad that they never got the recognition they deserved. And part of it is just because they didn't, they, they threw in the towel earlier than maybe they should have. Mm-hmm. And that's sure. arguably why people know Ken mode <laughs> when they right. probably shouldn't because we refuse to throw the towel in. Right. Right. And it, it is, you, you hit on a very interesting topic that I think, you know, a lot of bands wrestle with as they, you know, either if they, you know, break up or stop playing together and then start a different iteration or whatever. It's like the bands that you can point to that, you know, are able to not even reinvent themselves, but just to like, to your point, persist, just be like, whether or not, like, you know, we've, ridden waves of popularity up and down it's like as long as there's this like slow continual growth like you know we'll be able to find our space yeah and i uh, i mean a lot of the time that doesn't even work out which is the funny thing and i kind of can't believe it has worked out for us like things things are better now than they've ever been for this band and i i i feel lucky that they are going as well as they are and i'm not going to pretend like we haven't worked really hard at it but like that doesn't mean you're owed anything so it's it's definitely wild that here we are in 2023 the band is 24 years old and like we can actually pay our members something when we go on tour that's (laughs) crazy to me let's be real it's 2024 and you have only like what 10 band shirts come on let us get you into new shirts by going to rockabilia.com and using this promo code 100 words or less. It gets you 10% off your entire order. And what's even cooler is they have a 70% off warehouse sale right now. Like they're going through their archives, they're pulling out shirts that, you know, have just been kind of languishing on their shelves. And you can take advantage of that. I mean, if you want to buy an Aretha Franklin shirt or a bullet for my Valentine shirt or a Bring Me the Horizon t-shirt, like we're talking about a wide palette of music <laughs> that Rockabilly exists in, but it's all officially licensed. And that means it's high quality stuff and the bands get paid. They ship it from the Midwest here in the United States of America. And I love this company so much. They've supported this podcast for, gosh, five, six years. And I just love what they do. Hardcore Kids work there, just ticks all the boxes for things that I like to support and love. And plus, band merch, man. Come on. You need more shirts. Just plain and simple. So go to rockabilly.com, use the promo code 100 words or less, and enjoy 10% off your entire order. And just look cooler amongst your friends. Or just give us a gift, you know? It's a win-win situation. So rockabilly.com, 100 words or less is the promo code. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. 
And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. A lot of that is a testament to the fact that, you know, you not only had, did you guys dedicate yourselves more to obviously going out and, um, you know, continuing to push the live envelope from that side of things, but then you continue to, you know, be prolific in releasing music because there definitely is that idea of if you're a band that has to exist in the music industry every, you know, year and a half or two years, you got to put a new record to, you know, satiate the public and, you know, go on tour or whatever. And you guys have been able to, you know, sort of be able to call your shots from that side of things to be like, yeah, it's going to be three or five years before you're going to get another one. And then sometimes it'll be a year like you just did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was only because of the pandemic. Because <laughs> right. we, wrote, we wrote two records at the same time. Right. It's like, oops, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I know, like like you were mentioning, the Kittens was a, a huge band for you. But how did like that get intro to you? Was it, you know, like you and your brother kind of ping ponging off of each other of music that you were, um, you know, being excited about, or did you get exposed via friends at school or how'd that go? Um, honestly at, at that stage of the game, Shane was more of a tag along. Um, it was me and Daryl who was our first bassist. Okay. We were, were like best buds. I mean, Shane and I were, were best, best friends, but like Daryl was my next, next best friend through junior high and high school and uh him and i were kind of on the the musical journey at the time and uh it was like the the dawn of the internet type stuff i think he may have discovered kittens in some free magazine that was in an hmv in the the mall that we'd go to to get cds uh That'd be where kittens came from. But I know like, I remember in the the early days of like Netscape, people used to make weird websites dedicated to bands and you'd do searches for like the Melvins. And all of a sudden this site would pop up that was dedicated to talking about cop, shoot, cop, the cows and unsane. That's like, I don't know why this came up, but I'm going to check all this out. And then you're a fan of those three bands. And it's just, it was such a weird time but also like from the perspective of being like a teenager discovering music, it was absolutely the wild west. And like, it was just so cool. But right. uh, I know for like opening up the underground sense, uh, the, the, the big one for me was, uh, and for millions of kids, Nirvana was, was the one. Right. That it just uh, opened up the portal and then you kind of, you know, went, w- went down and found all the things that you needed to find. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it was, it was in utero that did it. And then I read the the book that Michael Azarid, uh, come as you are and basically went and looked up m- most of the bands that Kurt referenced in it, like bad brains, black flag, Jesus lizard, big black scratch acid, like, 
And from there, you just go down that rabbit hole. Now you're into touch and go records. Now you're into amphetamine reptile. Right. And now, 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 now you know, all these, up. right. Now, now you know what these words mean. Whereas like, if you say them to an average citizen, they're just like, what do you mean? Am rep? What, what is this? Yeah. Touch and go. What is this some sort of sexual thing? <laughs> totally. Did your uh, parents have any uh, reservation in regards to you starting to bring home some very weird music? And then probably, you know, when you started to play in bands and stuff like that, or were they generically pretty supportive? Uh, they're the reason I even got a Nirvana tape in the first place. My dad wanted to listen to it and he thought he might be too old to buy it for himself. Shut up. That yeah, is unbelievable. This is, all, so this is all his fault. I, I, I love the fact, just that, that wherewithal that your dad had where he's like, man, this is way too, way too young for me. Yeah, is, uh, is I, too tryhardy? I don't know. I'm going to get this so, for the kid. See how this goes. Right. Is this uh, is this cringe, as the kids would say? Jeez. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's kind of awesome because now at this stage in, in his musical development, I, I'm i like his truffle pig for this stuff. So I, I only share music with him that I think is like the top like 15 of the year. So I buy whenever I buy a CD for myself, I usually buy a copy for him. So he's uh, shy of like pretty extreme metal, which he's not always super into. Anything else I like, he generally likes. That's incredible. Because <laughs> usually, especially once kids start to get into stuff that is clearly left of center and like something that it wouldn't even make sense to most parents, uh, the fact that you can show him things that that would be stretching any boundaries, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm following along. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. looks waist to neurosis now. <laughs> incredible. Um, so what was the proverbial, I mean, I know that from a professional perspective, you, you know, do business planning and management for bands and stuff like that. Um, was there an expectation that you were going to set forth in your parents' footsteps as far as being an accountant and everything like that? Or was the, you know, the palette wide open? It was pretty wide open. And honestly, when I came out of high school, I thought I was going to go down into the science path and I started there in university, but um, quite literally felt like I had a out of body experience when I was in a lab and decided I had to get out of the sciences because I, I didn't think I'd ever be able to amount to anything because I didn't really care. And the only thing that I did care about was music. And the only way I was ever going to make any money in music was if I got a business degree and potentially worked in the music industry. So, like, we're talking maybe 2000, I started this long game of hopefully working in the music industry. <laughs> sure. And by like, I guess it was 2016 that Shane and I decided to like try to do the thing with that. And we're making a living now. So that's cool. It's cool Absolutely. that that stupid like 18 year old brain had a long game that actually played out and worked. <laughs> sure. I, I, I do love like, that concept, I mean, I'm sure you experienced it as you started to, you know, play shows outside of, uh, you know, Winnipeg and tour and all that sort of stuff. Just the idea of like the, the business person of the band, you know, usually it gets thrust onto the vocalist because that for whatever reason, it just always is. Um, but it sounds like you had maybe an interest or a proclivity as you started to do that, where it's like, oh yeah, I'll be the, you know, business person because like, I know roughly what I'm doing. 
Yeah. I mean, I kind of took the reins of it just because I'm the most proactive with everything to do with the band anyway. But actually, I I don't. Shane does most of the accounting now. I guess we kind of split some of it because I, I handle all the online store stuff. So I, I do the nitty gritty um, transactional stuff there just because it helps me keep organized and shipping things. So um, I handle like the PayPal and the Shopify and then he does everything else, the, the higher level accounting. But it is funny because we literally will do like financial accounting on tour. So we know where things are at at any one moment, like, he might not do it every day, but it'll be every second day for sure. So it's 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 kind of cool because we'll know exactly how the tours are doing in real time. Right. <laughs> I mean, that is really like the, the concept of like, I'm sure you felt this as you first started a tour, like when you level up and they're like, okay, now we're going to like keep inventory of our merch. And like, just when you start to add these little things on, but like you, you've obviously like, you know, big brained it to where it's like, oh yeah, we know exactly how this is going to go. <laughs> Yeah, Roughly I mean, speaking. my my dad used to kind of put the gears to us like super early on, trying to get us to to do things the way he would. And back then, like we just we didn't have the numbers or experience to be able to do any of that. So it was one of those like, dad, but dad, like none of this makes none of this matters. And like straight up now, of course we do all that because we have the data and I love using the data. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I'm guessing, was Ken Mode like your actual first band or did you play in some you know terrible stuff before that? Um, Ken Mode's the first one that ever played any actual shows. And it's, it's honestly, it's, it's, it was just the, the last name that the same three people were playing in anyway. So the... Shane, Daryl, and I started playing probably around like 96. Okay. And by the time we started playing shows, it was Ken mode, but it was still just the three of us. Got it. Got it. And with the, because Ken mode from a classification perspective is like, you know, it's like, you're not necessarily a metal band. You're not necessarily a hardcore band. You're obviously just, you know, you're classic fence sitters, you know, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, would, would you kind of classify yourself as that, like, as you were starting to like get into music? I mean, I know, like you were saying the, you know, Nirvana, Beacats, um, you know, Scratch Acid and et cetera, et cetera. Like, did you find yourself, I guess, gravitating towards, you know, being like a, you know, punk kid, metal kid, hardcore kid, or was it pretty agnostic? Because I got into everything through basically noise rock, I felt no allegiance to anything. And like Winnipeg had a really strong noise rock scene in the nineties, but by the time we really entered the scene, it had almost completely died. So we were clinging to playing with like hardcore bands and, uh, the odd punk band, grindcore bands like malfaction who actually mm-hmm. came, they were a hardcore band first, but, um, yeah, we didn't really have a scene. So, it was, it, it was always, it's always been strange. And I've, I've never, even as the band has developed, like we've never really fit into any one category. We're a little too metallic for a lot of noise rock purists. We're clearly too noisy for most hardcore kids. Most metal people think we're just noise. So it, it's been strange. We end up finding fans in people that don't follow any one thing and they end yep. up being kind of weird like we are right no and and i i i 
agree with you because I, I see the through lines of like, you know, looking at all those labels, like we were talking about at the top of the conversation where it's like, you almost were able to pick out like a Hydra head kid where it's like, oh yes, like, you know, they're, you know, they just look maybe like they're totally fine standing by themselves in a room, listening to weird loud music that you wouldn't really be able to easily define. And like, and that's totally fine. And they're good with that. Yeah. And a lot of the time, like if they talk to a hardcore kid, like they, they have similar roots and yet they also have similar roots to some of the metal kids. And then they also have some bands that both of those kids would hate. So it's right. just a strange mishmash. It is. It is. When you started to tour and, you know, play outside of Winnipeg and everything like that, did you like touring? Was it as you anticipated or was it something that you were very taken aback by? I don't know. I don't know if I ever like specifically liked it. I also didn't hate it, but it's always felt like it was a means to an end, no matter what, even from the the first tour onward. Like we, we've been kind of fortunate in the way we've approached some things where like our first tour ever, we kind of piggybacked on that band, the end who was on relapse back. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. I remember them. 2002 they had a tour that was booked that was supposed to be with another band. The other band couldn't do it. So we just like hopped on it. And that was our first tour ever. Like (sighs) most bands like us need to like truly eat shit, trying to do their own thing and booking it. And we just hopped on a thing with the end, which I mean, we've eaten our fair share of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Wrong. But like, that was like, a really good first feather in our cap when we're trying to like do the industry thing. Like, yeah, you've heard of the end, right? Yeah. 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 We toured with them. Oh, really? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're, you're legitimate. Like, yeah, you, yeah. we can probably talk to like maybe darkest hour to like take us out or something like that. Like we, we can at least drop the, the end's name. <laughs> yeah. It's at least something. Right. Um, right. What, what did you, like you said, you kind of had your, rough sights set on the music industry, broadly speaking, you know, what, what sort of inroads were you trying to make? Like, did you want to work at a label and obviously like be an accountant or did you want to do A&R, even though you probably didn't even know what that word meant at the time? Like, were you, okay. No no hot clue. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) And the funny thing is like, after getting a business degree, you find out that nobody in the music industry actually knows how to run a business at all, which is just funny and i mean that's part of why shane and i have a career now because we have legitimate business skills and we're not crooks so it's pretty easy to start getting clients pretty quickly uh one of the things people complain about now is that it's unfortunate that uh we aren't american or european because they all wish they had a version of us right that's kind of cool it's nice nice to have other people telling us that Right, right. <laughs> it is because I, I think it's, I mean, especially when you are young and you're just like, okay, I like music. I want to try to figure out whatever I can do to make a living out of it. Whether that, I mean, because no one, especially when you get attracted to heavy music, it's not like there's a lot of paths forward to be like, oh, yes, you know, we're either, uh, I guess we're either hate breed or, you know, some other band like maybe that can try to like make a living out of this. But, I mean, I guess in the 2000s, you started to see a little bit of a path. I mean, now there definitely is a clear path, but it's... uh, And even that, it's weird that there is a path. 
It, it, it's true. I mean, I guess maybe the path is just the idea of like the fact that you can be, um, you know, more clear eyed about your approach where it's like, oh yeah, like you don't have to, you know, lose your butt on this tour because you can make these, you know, predictions of like, oh yes, we're getting paid a hundred dollars a night. Maybe we shouldn't buy a van first off. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe we should rent this or whatever. Yeah. And even with all that, like it's, it's, it's interesting how little so many musicians actually make. Yeah. No, to, to, especially when you're talking about like, and I'm sure you've done this exercise of the uh, amount of time spent versus, you know, an oh, hourly God. rate. It's yeah. like, yeah, let's not even talk about that. <laughs> it's a fruitless ad- for, yeah. for many years. I, uh, I, I put on that uh, sound and fury music festival down here in California oh, and cool. And it was one of those things I did that exercise with my friend where we were like, cause it wasn't our full-time job. So we just did it because obviously the love of the game. I mean, yes, we made some money off of it, but just the idea of like, oh, so we could have done a lot less work <laughs> and worked at like a Starbucks and we would have been like four Xing our income. Like yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Shane always says, uh, if you want to make money, go work at a bank. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Think about free samples, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> you got to hopefully like what you're doing a little bit with this stuff. So, Exactly. You're right. You're right. Uh, I have to focus specifically on a uh, song of yours. Usually I don't get this nerdy in regards to um, you know specific bands and or songs, but the uh, a love letter um, to me, like when I, I've, like I said, I've always enjoyed your band, but like that song spoke to me in ways that I was just like, oh my gosh, like it kind of unlocked another portal for me to like, you know, like you even more where I basically, it was just like, oh, so basically this is like dead guy, except in 20, you know, 22, we'll call it or whatever. Uh, even though dead guy obviously exists now, but, uh, um, I can't help but notice your, you know, fandom for dead guy and obviously representing them by wearing, you know, their shirts on stage and stuff like that. Um, have you, uh, does that resonate with you or I presume you probably have liked Tim Singer's projects like overall? I mean, Tim is on one of our records. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah, That's he amazing. Sings, he sings on No, I'm in control on our entrenched record. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to pay closer attention there. Yeah. And I mean, dead guy, I've always liked dead guy, but honestly, I like kiss a goodbye more. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love that. And uh, this is funny because I've said this online a bunch of times and then uh, Tom from Kiss a Goodbye will chime in. The uh, the EP that Damien was on for Kiss a Goodbye is my favorite material that Tim was ever on. And I feel it's the best of the whole Kiss a Goodbye dead guy whole catalog. And I mean, that's part of why I love Damien so much, though, too. Like, And actually, legitimately, Damien may be the reason that anyone has ever heard of us. Right. <laughs> It's, he uh, he does have the ability to, um, you know, champion bands in his own way. Yeah, it was a weird chain reaction, though, because, like, he discovered Ken Mode on mp3.com. He exchanged messages with me, and this was, like, at the very beginning of when Playing Enemy started, too. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who introduced me to Gordon Conrad. So Amazing, amazing. <laughs> and Gordon's the only reason anyone knows us, too. Right, right. Just, yeah, well, happenstance, you know? Like when you, especially when you resonate with certain people, like that's the awesome part about putting out art, whatever it's music or anything, you never know who will impact. And then obviously the different roads that'll throw you down. Yeah. And it's refreshing when you meet those types of people because 
to, and it really reaffirms that we're all just a bunch of nerds looking for things to make that make us feel good and trying to share it with others and and nothing uh exemplifies that more than that situation and and now like us championing the new great falls record to anyone who <laughs> listen like yeah just, I, I just want to share this cool shit that people should hear <laughs> totally and this just happens to be that i have to tour in a band to you know let you know about that and my band as well but like you know we want we want you to be into the stuff we're into <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and i mean that's it's it's funny you mentioned the band shirt thing because i know we we both get flack from people and also like endless props um it's funny when people give us flack and and claim we're like being tryhards or something. It's like this is my actual wardrobe. Do you think someone's dressing us in our photos? Like we're wearing clothes that we wear in everyday life. We just are fans of bands and like wearing band shirts. I, yeah, it's been a really weird discourse that I've seen over this last couple of years. It is it, it, to me. It's mind-numbingly stupid, especially if you're talking about like it's a different story if you're you know like throwing stones of some pub at some public figure that's like oh dude you know whatever like Kylie Jenner doesn't know who Agnostic Front is or whatever that's a whole different like but like <laughs> if you're being like oh dude why are you wearing a dead guy shirt Jesse like it's like what what that's a problem <laughs> why yeah. I a shirt yeah a shirt man. <laughs> Exactly. I wore, early, I wore an early grave shirt because I like that shirt. <laughs> right. I, I enjoy the band and, uh, you know, it's a great form of advertising for them when I wear it on stage and everybody wins. <laughs> and, uh, my favorite entombed shirt right now while, uh, spe- uh, while we're speaking here. Spectacular. Um, something that I know that you have experience with and uh, I, I'd like to hear exactly when you started to become aware of the grant system. I've always being from America and then I worked at Century Media Records for many years and actually a, a band from Winnipeg that you are maybe tangentially familiar with called Burn the Eight Track. Yep. Um, yep. So I, I was shocked because I worked with that band. Like they're, you know, cool at what they did, but talk about an amazing grant writer, the singer, got like hundreds and thousands of dollars for marketing in regards to like music videos and stuff like that. Um, so when did you become like aware of the fact that like, you know, you could get grants and like, I've just, I always find it so interesting because bands of your nature and then like, you know, even cursed or whatever has dipped into factor. Um, so yeah. T- walk me through your experience with that. Yeah. I mean, I was aware of them because of things going on in the 90s um yeah like mm-hmm. being on the back of like a shallow north dakota record or um the cursed records and burn the a track and um but i didn't we didn't start tapping into it actually until after we won i don't know i guess it was right before we won a juno okay um we i, I remember i tried to get some marketing money for our venerable record because like that was the record that we were trying to really really push and I did get some marketing money through our province. It wasn't a, a huge amount, but like it allowed me to do like a radio campaign in the, in the U.S. for college radio and something in Canada too. And it just generally allowed us to to start pushing the band to people who might not know us. And mm-hmm. I mean, even early on, I, I was one of the early adopters with Facebook marketing. And uh uh, it's it's too bad things aren't still like that. But I remember shocking a lot of people when, because you could get super specific in how you target it back then. And uh, we we gained a lot of fans as we were trying to 
first start touring the U.S. again that way. Um, but anyway, I, to circle back to Grant's, um, sure. it wasn't until around like 2012 that we really started going after them. And I started learning how to both get them and use them to the fullest extent. Um, and since then, like since Shane and I started uh, doing MKM management services, that's actually how I make a lot of money because I, I do the grant writing for a lot of other heavy bands because a lot of bands in our community didn't necessarily know they could even access that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the like quantitative stats that they use to determine whether or not a band can kind of f- is quote like worthy a lot of canada's heavier bands crush all the like radio friendly indie stuff so sure i i kind of started spreading filth throughout that system (laughs) and uh i've been (laughs) pretty successful at getting a lot of like pretty not commercial sounding bands some money it's been really cool yeah no that's amazing that you because I, I do think that that is such a unique thing that obviously happens in Canada and, you know, countries in Europe and stuff. And it's such a, obviously a foreign concept for us here in America where it's just like, wait a minute, what? Like the government would rather, you know, set you on fire yeah. <laughs> down here. Yeah. But the, the fact that you can point to, like you said, the the metrics that can show the fact that like, yes, this band is literally getting Canada on the map, this province on the map in ways that, you know, these other grants might not, you know, the money might not go as far or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of the bands that they still favor these bands, but a lot of the bands that they do pour a lot of money into end up becoming like indie darlings in Canada and they just don't click anywhere else. And the big thing I can always point to with, especially like the bands I work with is there are international names first and foremost, like they're making their money in Europe. They're making their money in the U S Canada is just kind of an afterthought with all that. So and ultimately, with a lot of these Canada Heritage Funds, like having cultural exports is a big deal. So it's kind of a no-brainer to to fund some of these groups because they are quite literally like art that is successful around the world from Canada. Right. Yeah. It's like the the literal definition of what you are trying to accomplish. Like, here you go. This is what it is. Yep. And just because Gorguts doesn't sound like Celine Dion doesn't mean they shouldn't get some cash. <laughs> exactly. That's a great pull. I was, uh, I was hoping that you were going to do something like that. Our friends at evilgreed.net are back and they're supporting the show. And you know what? You can buy vinyl and t-shirts and CDs from them. And it's awesome because they actually have a description, in my opinion, that is perfect for what it is that they do. Obviously, they offer web store solutions for bands and record labels, but you, as the consumer, will be able to order from them all in one convenient spot. And they are a heavy music merchandise and records provider. (laughs) But let me just list some of the bands that they're working with. But before I do that, you need to use this promo code, 100 words gets you 10% off of your entire order. And I love the company because let's let's talk about some of the new stuff they have going on. Whether you're looking to maybe buy the new high viz record on tape, or how about you know a no pressure shirt? Or how about the awesome, awesome band that made my top 10 of 2023, Homefront? You can order a few of their LPs or Chisel or Malevolence. 
Like they have so many cool bands and record labels that they work with, but it's all under the guise of the the heavy side of things. So trust me in saying that if you listen to the show, you will absolutely love what evilgreed.net has to offer. They ship it from Berlin, Germany. It gets to us in the United States lickety split and the shipping rates are very advantageous for us as far as the exchange rates concerned. So please order from evilgreed.net and please use the promo code 100 words. It will get you 10% off your order and you can order to your heart's content. Okay, so go browse and have fun. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. And so as you were, like, you know, as Ken Mode was was putting out records and getting your start and everything like that, like you said, you were clearly not like making a living off of, uh, you know, your music and everything like that. Were you, you know, doing accounting and like working for lack of a better term, like a quote unquote regular job? Um, yeah. After graduating university in, what was it like end of 2004? Uh, I actually got a marketing and small business management degree, but I was one of the first wave of millennials that learned that quite literally, because I guess the technical term for a millennial like is people born from 1981 onward, and I was born in 81. So I learned the hard way that just because you have a university degree doesn't mean you're going to get a job in your field, which prior to that was like not a thing. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's like you get a degree and then you do the thing. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't. So that came with some baggage. Um, so I, I started doing accounting cause that's something I could get a job in and mm-hmm. did that from like 2005 through 2011 when I quit and we went on the road full time. Okay. Was that decision like, did you, was that difficult for you to arrive to? Cause I know, like you said, there was a real demarcation from the decision to be like, yes, we're going to go out there. We're going to make this band, whatever it may turn into. Was that a difficult decision or was it relatively easy because you wanted to do it? I mean, it was a tricky one because I was either going to go back to school or we were going to try this. And I was making that decision at the same time that my brother was graduating from the CA school of business. So he got his chartered accountancy. Um, and he was faced with like, do I jump into industry and become like a controller of a company and he was only 25 years old. So it's like, I don't really want to like start a career in something right now. So I, I kind of mildly convinced him like, we should try this thing just so we never look back and go like, what if we tried, you know? So when we made that decision, it still took two years to build us up to a point where we felt like we had something we could work because we'd just gone on our first European tour, which was like a couple week, like fun thing with a band called Taint from Wales. Mm -hmm. Um, We just got a new bassist. So we, we started laying the groundwork to try to do it full time. So we, we wrote a bunch of songs. I made plans to record with Kurt Ballou because I felt like it would help to have like a proper producer 
making this record and someone within our scene that could at least like it would help having the connection to a guy like him. Cause obviously converge was like completely owning everything at the time. And yep. He was really, really growing as a producer too. So a lot of really neat records uh, were getting made out of his studio. So I thought this was my, our first attempt at trying to record even outside of our city. So I thought this was a good idea. So we booked him, recorded it in 2010. Then I started laying on the, the framework for trying to put it out. We lined up with Profound Lore Records, which felt like a good fit to like take this first step. So um, yeah, 2011 came and I think we put the album out in March and we toured for the rest of the year. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um I I definitely, I mean, I know almost every single interview since you won the Juno Award, like no one can't mention it. And obviously I'm going to fall right in line with that. Yeah. The, I just remember where it was just like, this is so weird. Like, I mean, I remember it, not because like you don't deserve it, but it's just like, that's bizarre. Like here's a band, like in the same way you could understand why a band like Alexis on Fire is winning like multiple Juno Awards, even though, you know, they were. I mean, like just friends of mine or whatever, just in the same way that I felt like I was friends with you, even though I didn't know you. Um, it's, it, it, it just, it was probably like so surreal, bizarre, whatever you want to call it. Um, did you have feelings towards that of just like, all right, I guess we're along for this ride. This is, this seems funny. Yeah, that was absolutely the feeling. Like we okay. had no expectations. It was strange that we were even nominated and then to win, like we were for sure the underdogs. We were the least popular of all the bands that were up for it. And winning was we literally just started laughing. Right. Like I I really did ham it up when we went up there. Like I stretched my arms out. It was just like what what is what is this? What is going on? Um I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's, it was cool. <laughs> sure. What, what would you say? I mean, I'm putting you on the spot here. What was the most uh, either bizarre or interesting interaction that you had with, you know, that sort of more mainstream world of being like, who is Ken? Like, you know, interviews I'm sure you did, or like maybe it was people, you know, randomly DMing you guys or whatever. Do you have any things that stick out in your mind? We... I know because of that, we got approached by booking agents and management people and labels in Canada that were for sure completely inappropriate. And, <laughs> right. You're like, did you listen to us? <laughs> yeah. And I know even that we did have a, a Canadian agent for a while that we did get as a result of this. And he was a real piece of shit. Uh, I'd later find out that he was like actively talking shit on us while representing us to like talent buyers and cities. It's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Right. <laughs> right. I like like we're, we're going to talk hate on for this guy now. Sure. Like, yeah, we're going to talk to these promoters because we've played shows with them before, even before you were involved or whatever. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that yeah I, we, there was for sure some, some weird scenarios, but I mean, for the most part, people were pretty cool. Even like mm -hmm. the press leading up to the Junos, we got featured in a lot of the articles talk because it was the first time they brought the heavy, like heavy metal slash hard music Juno. It was the first one. So I think it's almost like they were trying to give metal a different image while they were mm -hmm. presenting this new award because they, they did 
focus on us a fair amount leading up to it. And I think it was simply because we had the accounting background. It was kind of like, not all metalheads are long haired, drugged out losers. Like, look at these fine young boys. <laughs> totally. Here, here's some respectable number crunchers that happen to play heavy music. Right. Just don't listen to them. For the love of God, don't listen to them. <laughs> Totally. It's like their their band name is agnostic where you can't really necessarily tell what they sound like. They are somewhat presentable human beings. Like, yes, they're wearing weird shirts or whatever, but they don't look, you know, like the typical metal band or whatever. So the, yeah, I can see their the calculations that someone would go through to be like, oh yeah, these seem, this seems like a safe award to give this band to. Yeah. I still think uh, a good part of the reason we ever got any push in the larger kind of mainstream underground press was because of how we are a little bit left of center We're, in terms of something that's a little bit more presentable and, and a weird story like accountants. Why? Yeah. And totally. then they, like, as soon as they kind of got that initial shock of presenting it out, then they never touched us again, which is, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Or it's like, Hey, we've already gone through that press cycle. Like that story is interesting. What else you got? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like we, we definitely got picked up by Pitchfork for like a year and then they decided they wanted to destroy us and have nothing to do with us. And that's fine. <laughs> right. Your next record gets a 3.0 and they're like, okay, I see where we sit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was quite literally how it played out. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, 3.0, uh, I think it was maybe a four point something. And yeah, oh, did they talk some shit? <laughs> well, you know, I mean... At, at that point, you have truly made it because you've obviously, you know, like uh, when you become a divisive band to that, uh, you know, type of reader, it's like, all right, I think we've accomplished something here. Yeah, we must be doing something right. Right, right. Uh, where, uh, out of pure curiosity, where is your Juno? Like, do you do you have it on a, a mantelpiece? Is it, uh, you know, in the storage unit or where? Where is it? Mine is on my parents' piano. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, that's I'll cool. probably I'll move it. I'm I'm kind of like quasi actively looking for a house right now, which seems insane. But <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm a 42 year old man, and my partner and I <laughs> have some money that we have for a down payment, so I think we can pull it off. Because we live in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg sucks. So <laughs> when I buy when I buy a house, I'm going to display it somewhere there. Right. Or you could bring that into the, you know, house tour with a realtor and be like, Hey, you know, maybe we'll get a little discount on this. <laughs> do, do you know who we are? <laughs> yeah, I think that'll, that'll impress uh, Winnipeg sellers for sure. Oh, absolutely. For sure. <laughs> uh, last two things I wanted to hit on was the um, actually, you know, apropos of uh, you talking about buying a house, like considering the band's location and like how much effort it takes to, you know, basically go anywhere outside of Winnipeg from a touring perspective. Um, do you, do you kind of reflect on like the, you know, non geographical nature that most bands exist in now? Like, yes, bands start in maybe a city or whatever, but like, you can't really point to them being like, Oh, you know, like if you play in New York, I can totally hear like the New York city hardcore or whatever. Like, is it uh, you know, how do you reflect on that? Like lack of regionality that exists for most bands these days? Yeah, that's the internet. It's 100% the internet. Yep, totally. Which is, it can be a good thing and a bad thing. It, it's it's removed some of the, the special qualities of the regional shtick, but at the same time, like when something clicks, 
you can have a built-in audience immediately. And like, I, I don't know, in case in point with a band like Chatpile, we're like, there are a bunch of guys who are just doing local bands all the way up until they're all almost 40. And then they put together the right ingredients for this band that just clicks at the right time. And like their first tours are sold out 600 cap rooms all across America. Like what the actual fuck is going on? So <laughs> right. that, that side of it is like, can be super cool, but like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of do lament the, the days of the regional scene. Cause like you'd see some really weird stuff, like even Winnipeg, like throughout the nineties and then the early two thousands, like we had weird little pockets of like, I mean, I was a part of it, a strange subsect of bands that didn't really fit in anywhere. And it was, it certainly was because of Winnipeg, but you don't see that anymore. Right. Right. And on that sort of general idea of like, you know, the presentation that bands obviously have to do, you know, on the internet, like it, it seems like you, I mean, not only your personality, but then just kind of the band's personality cuts through really well. And the fact that like, yes, we take our music seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Not like you're just, you know, some jokester band like the Aquabats or something like that. But <laughs> although it would be kind of cool if you, you know, leaned a little bit in that direction. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where we got a saxophone player. <laughs> I think uh, I know it is true. I mean, there is brass in the band, so we're close. Y'all better look out for what's next. What <laughs> one can only hope. Um, and I'm sure you've gotten like in the same way that you know people have commented on shirts you're wearing and stuff. Like, have people you know either come at you or commented on the, you know, the fact that you're like not this like super serious, you know, overwrought band, uh, or have, you know, you kind of not seen that, uh, percolate towards you. No, I haven't really seen much attitude. Usually, uh, people, it, it actually, uh, I think warms people up to us, especially after they've seen us live. Cause like the stage show is hostile. <laughs> it's, sure. it, it's very, I mean, we were raised on all things eighties and nineties underground. And like, there was not much of a sense of humor with a lot of that. And we do not have a sense of humor on stage. Um, but as soon as we get off, like I don't, I don't want to do well, unless, <laughs> unless something really fucked up happens at the show, then I might want to actually hurt someone, but sure. we're, we generally are, are working out our shit through that thing. So uh, especially like from a writing perspective, I feel like I'm at least prior to the pandemic, I felt like I was getting better and better at, at concentrating all the bad toxic things in my life down to this poison that we're putting into this music. Um, although I, I do think that the pandemic has done some damage that I, it's going to take years to fix. Sure. <laughs> Just in terms of being irritable and angry. And I really put a lot of work into not being that and, I'm for sure angrier than I was before the pandemic, but sure. Yeah. It'll take a few years to sand those edges down, so to speak. Yeah. If, yeah, if, if at all, uh, right. I I probably need therapy, but yeah, fuck it. No, that's obviously that's why you have, uh, you know, the saxophone. That's that's what you hear. (laughs) (laughs) Therapy. When you have a saxophone, I mean, I'm going to tell Catherine that tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Totally. You could just be like, you know what? I think we solved the problem here. Like, you know, could, I mean, what, what licensed therapist doesn't have a saxophone in the background of their Zoom chat or whatever, you know? And that's why she's the cheeriest one in the band. It's because she's tooting that horn. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 
Well, Jesse, I very much appreciate you uh, goofing around and hanging out with me. I, uh, yeah, like I said, I enjoyed what you've done for a long time, and uh, now you will be a friend of mine whether you liked it or not. Hell yeah. Yes, that was Jesse, and hopefully you learned some stuff. Because, uh, yeah, the, Jesse was not only spitting truth about his band, but you know, talking about the grant system. Oh, man, I love grant talk. <laughs> which I know sounds absolutely ridiculous to say out loud, but uh, I just find it so fascinating that the rest of the world has programs to support the arts and not here in America, you know, just God bless America or something like that. Anyways, thank you to Jesse and thank you to Curran, a longtime friend of mine, and he's a PR extraordinaire human being. And so he brought this idea to me. We made it happen. It was great. Let's talk about what's happening next week. I have Keith Buckley. X every time I die, but now currently plays in a band called Many Eyes, who is, you know, embarking on their first tour with Thursday and Rival Schools. And it's going to be very, very exciting to watch that transpire. But Keith and I, we spent some time on the road many, many moons ago, and uh, it was a great chat. Keith was was a good hang. And that's that's all we really want here, right? A nice hang. You get to know a person, hopefully like their art a little bit better, or you just come to understand the person a little more. So anyways, until next week, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home.